the natural outflow of living with confidence in God's sovereignty is having confidence that lasts through the the last days of our lives, so that we die with confidence in God's sovereignty. It's maybe not something that we think too much of. Maybe sounds like a rather morbid sort of a topic, but it is something that is going to come to all of us unless Christ returns first. So we would do well to think about it. And this passage in front of us, pushes us to think about it because two deaths are recorded in it and both men, Jacob and Joseph, die with confidence and an expectation. And really, although we looked at verse 20 this morning, uh, verse 20 and the little section is sandwiched between the, the narrative of Jacob's death and the narrative of Joseph's death. In fact, the narrative of Jacob's death has been, has been stretched out over a number of chapters. I think from chapter 47, where uh, Jacob is coming to the end of his days. Uh, just at the end of chapter 47. And he sends for, uh, in chapter 48, uh, sorry, chapter 47, he sends for Joseph and gives him instruction about where he's to be buried. Uh, and then 48 He speaks to Joseph's sons, 49. He speaks to his own sons. This has been drawn out. We're meant to ponder it. And in fact, his his funeral is given more space. And his dying is given more space in Scripture than anybody else's. So Moses, by way of giving bulk to this, is forcing us to slow down and to look at this. And we see not just death and dying. But we see a repeated emphasis on God's promises. And we see the dying men holding on to God's promises. And so we see these two things coming together. And I think when you take what we were thinking about this morning, particularly with Joseph, and Joseph having watched God weave a thousand or a million threads together, and he's trusted God, Uh, with some serious issues in his life, you can see his confidence. Well, if you've seen God weave all those different colored threads together, then you can trust him with this last part of the pattern. He knows what he's doing. And it's instructive to watch believers pass into glory. It should be a great teaching moment. It should be the culmination of a life of faith. And some of us have had that privilege in the last year to see God's people passing into glory. And we've seen faith radiating beautifully at the close of a life. As I said this morning, uh, the Puritans spoke of dying well. John Wesley, a great preacher and evangelist in the 1700s, said, Our people die well. And that's... Uh, He wasn't talking about bravado or fearlessness, but he was talking about dying in such a way that faith could be seen. And that's what we have in this section. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the great preacher uh, in the, the 20th century in London, said, We do not give enough time to death and are going on. 
It is a very strange thing, this. The one certainty, yet we do not think about it. Uh, People say about a sudden death, it's a wonderful way to go. And Lloyd-Jones says, I've come to the conclusion that that is quite wrong. The hope of a sudden death is based on fear of death. Then he says this, but death is not something to slip past. It should be victorious. I have said I've been guilty of thinking a sudden death would be quite nice, and it does have certain benefits. All of the long, drawn-out nature is taken away. That suffering element is removed. But as an opportunity to display the hope that belongs to the believer. If death is not sudden, a stage is set for God to display that his people have something richer and far greater than anything this world can offer. Jacob died victoriously. Joseph died victoriously. They both die looking ahead. Don Carson uh, says, Brothers and sisters in Christ, bring up death often. Teach your people to be ready to die. We are not only for this life, and our happiness is not restricted to three score years and ten. Our happiness is not restricted to three score years and ten. And so, as we look at this, I want us to see uh, four areas that confidence comes from. First of all, there's confidence from looking forwards. Confidence from looking forwards. The great, um, I suppose, the great temptation uh, uh, when you come to the end of our days is to spend our time looking back and to reminisce and to ponder and to remember all that has happened and to to dwell on the good old days. Now, we don't see Jacob doing that. Now, that may have been because there weren't too many good old days for Jacob. Um, But he did have some incredible moments, some highlights that he could go over, and he did mention them. Uh, Whenever he was praying for Ephraim and Manasseh in chapter 48, but he mentioned them only briefly. They were anchor points For him to look at God, he talks about the God who had shepherded him all the days of his life. He talked about the angel who had redeemed him from all harm. But he's not focusing on the moments. He was focusing on the God of those moments. But in these verses, we see both Jacob and Joseph. Not looking back, Joseph also had plenty to look back on. What a glorious career uh, from the age of 30 to 110, 80 years, the peak of his powers, the peak of influence in Egypt, uh, and a man of significance, seem right uh, to the, towards the end of his days. But that's not what he's doing. He's not recalling that. What's he doing? He's looking ahead. And we see that in what both men speak of. Uh, they're looking forward. Uh, we see it, and um, we'll see it in a minute, and they're, they're looking to, to the promised land in particular. But 
Jacob, we see, has a right understanding of death. It's not the end. Look at what he says in verse 29. I am about to be gathered to my people. Our world gets this monumentally wrong. It sees death as the end. It's not the end. Um, Sometimes it's seen as the end for good. And that, well, their suffering is over. Sometimes seen as the end in a bad way. They're gone. They're lost forever. There's a fear because this is, this is it. But in a sense, this is not it. It's not the end. I'm about to be gathered to my people. The phrase is used of Abraham. It's used of Isaac. It's used of Aaron. It's used of Ishmael. It's used of Esau. Uh, two men who weren't godly men. The phrase is still used of them. It's clear. It's not the end. Uh, Old Testament people didn't have the same clarity about life after death that we have because of increased revelation in the rest of Scripture, because of Christ's resurrection and his statements, but they still know that it's not the end. And we need to remember that because we live in a world where it tries to press home to us that that's it finished, that's the end. Although at the same time that they say that, they also talk about you know, so-and-so, they're up there looking down on us, or that I have an angel um, in heaven looking over me. You know, we live in this strange, um, divided uh, world where we can say one thing and yet hold on to something else. At Churchill's funeral, at the very end of the service, just as the service was over, high up in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral, a bugler sounded uh, the, the, the piece of music known as Taps. It's the, the piece that's played at the end of the day in the army, in the military, to signify the close of the day. The day is gone. Safely rest. God is nigh. Uh, and then uh, that seemed like a fitting conclusion. But Churchill had something else to say even though he was, he was being buried. The minute that bugler stopped on the other side of the dome of the cathedral, another bugler started up and he played the Revali, the, the, the piece that is played in the morning to awaken the troops to the next day. It's not the end. It's not, I don't know where Churchill was spiritually. I don't think he was a Christian. But here's this truth. This isn't the end. It's not the end. And Jacob is looking forward. I'm about to be gathered to my people. There's a sense of going home. Something wonderfully evocative about this phrase, gathered to my people. The people are waiting there. There's, there's a reunion. And yes, Esau is going to be gathered to his people too. And as we read on through Scripture, we find that... The, We find out more of what this will mean. Yes, those who are ungodly will be gathered to all the ungodly and those who are godly will be gathered to all the godly people. But for the believer, there's a looking forward. A gloriously joyful gathering. You know, from our side, death looks like a turning out of the lights. We held a surprise party for my father uh, once. 
And he went into a darkened church building, thinking he was going in to, to fix something on the, the meter board, uh, to get the lights working. And as he went in and, and poked at something on the meter board, all the lights uh, came on. And there were a whole host of all his friends uh, and all his family gathered there to welcome him. In some shape or form, do you see? Being gathered to your people. For our side of things, it looks like a darkness. The light's going out. From the other side, the lights are coming on. And there's a a coming amongst the people of God. Jacob is going to be amongst Abraham and Isaac. Joseph is going to be with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the, the host of the other family members. And Enoch and Adam and Noah and Shem, the godly from the generations past. Looking forward, what will it be like? Think of all those great people of Scripture. Think of the great people of church history. Think of the little people of Scripture. Think of the little people of church history. We don't even know their names. Like our names will not be known. But we've got stories to tell. And they've got stories to tell. Be gathered to our people. There are people. There are only two kinds of people. Christ's people and those who are not Christ's people. And we are Christ's people. And we'll be gathered to them. And there is, even in this world, a wonderful unity as you meet Christ's people from all sorts of different places and cultures and countries. We are one in Christ. What will it be to step amongst complete strangers in glory and to to know them as brothers and sisters. It's a going home. And Jacob, you get that sense, even in his phrase here, there's that looking forward to being gathered to his people. And you know what's missing? You know what's missing in, in this? Now think about it. The pyramids are in existence. The Egyptians have their rut- routines and rituals for death. Jacob is a, a wealthy, wealthy landowner. We read earlier in, in, Ex, in Genesis that he acquired property in Egypt. Jacob is going to be buried. What's missing in the story? We don't read of them filling carts uh, and wagons with all the treasures that had accumulated in this life and they, them taking them to Canaan to bury them around him. And okay, we're reading between the lines and we're, we're letting the silence speak. But I wonder if the Egyptians were wondering, where's, where's the treasures? Where's the riches? Why is he not taking them with him? For the believer, why would you even think of taking stuff with you? What we've got ahead of us is far better than everything this world can offer. You know, it speaks in Revelation of the streets of heaven being paved with gold. You know, the stuff that's most valuable in this world is tarmac. Concrete. In the world to come. There's the comparison. Looking forward. If we could see what lies ahead of us. And okay, the language of Revelation is picture language. But it's picture language that is to convey to us that the greatest treasures of this world 
are just the bricks and stones of the world to come. What it has is far richer and far greater than anything we've got here. And Jacob is looking forward. There's a confidence because he's looking forwards, not backwards, not reminiscing, but chomping at the bit, as it were, to go. We need a right understanding of death. For God's people, it's a going home. Christ has removed the sting of death. It is to be with those who love Jesus. It is to be with Christ. It's to enjoy the delight of being in God's presence and knowing him and all that he is. So looking confident because we're looking forward. Confident because we're looking at the promises. And that's what else echoes through this section. These men are keeping their eye on God's promises. That's why there's all this focus on Canaan and on this particular field that is, we're told that it was bought from Ephron the Hittite and that the field was bought and the cave was bought and that it was witnessed. And, uh, you know, verse, 20, verse 32, the field and the cave and it were bought from the Hittites. And then way down in uh, chapter 50 and verse 13, the same thing which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. Why all this emphasis? After all, Jacob had acquired property in Egypt. Why not be buried there? But this was what God had promised. God had said to Abraham, I will give you this land. It said to him, buy this field, buy a place. Or rather, sorry, that's not... That's not what God has said. Abraham said back to God, you've promised me this land and although I am dying and my wife has died, I'm going to buy a field and buy this place because you made a promise. And Isaac is buried there because God had made a promise that this was their place. And Jacob wants to be buried there because God had made a promise. He's not superstitious. He knows that God is God of the whole earth. And he's not sentimental. There's a bit of a surprise in, uh, in Genesis 49 and verse 31. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. Check. Yep, okay. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. Check, yes, that's okay. And there I buried Leah. Earlier, uh, in chapter 48, we're told that Rachel, his beloved wife, was buried at Bethlehem on the road to Ephrath, chapter 48 and verse 7. If Jacob is wanting the sentimental, heart-tugging location, that's Bethlehem. But no, it's Mamre. It's Ephron's field. It's Machpelah's cave that Abraham had bought from him. That's the covenant place. That's the promised place. That's the place in the land that they owned, that God had promised. That was the first installment. And Jacob's looking at the promise. He's got his eye fixed on the promise. He's kept his eye on the ball after 17 years in Egypt. He's remembering the promise. Egypt wasn't the promised land. This is the promised land. 
And he's making his son's promise to bury him there. And he makes his son's promise to bury him there. And Joseph makes his relations and descendants promise to take his bones up with them when they go and bury him there. Because Egypt is not their home. And Jacob and Joseph want to drum this into the family. Live by the promises. Live based on the promises. It's as if Jacob wants his sons to go and stand at Abraham and Isaac's grave. This is who you are. This is who you are. Pass this on to your children. That's the whole point. We read that he gave them these instructions. The details about the plot of land. This is your place. He's focused on the promises. He's drumming it into the next generation. God had said he would keep his promise. And I I wonder if these men, believing what little information they had, and we're not sure what all they knew, but they, they, they seem to know that death is not the end, that there's more to it, and that God has made his promise and God always keeps his word. Were they putting two and two together? Well, if God had promised us this land and we haven't yet got this land and we've died, surely God can make us come alive again. We know that Abraham had figured that out because the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham had reasoned that God could raise the dead. That's why he was willing to, to, to obey God's command to sacrifice Isaac. He had reasoned that God could raise the dead. I wonder if Abraham had then reasoned this for himself. He said, right, I'm going to be buried in this land that God promised so that when God raises me, I will be here in the land that God has given me. This is my place because God said it. I wonder if in their, their, their own way that was their, their reality of them taking the promise seriously. God had promised and they expected him to keep it. And they are confident Because they're looking to the promises. See the impact that would have on his sons. See the impact it has on the Egyptians. They get there's this whole state funeral, uh, and they get to see that these men take God's promise seriously. You can imagine the discussions that were had. We traveling it's four hundred miles. Why are we doing this? And they're all all the dignitaries are going with them. Um, They're going. Uh, on the journey, and they're getting to to be pointed to they're getting to be pointed forward as well and here's one of the benefits in our confident looking forward in our taking God's promises seriously. people see something in us of the hope that we've got that we know that death's not the end, and they see that hope in us and Peter says that that we're to, to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and we're to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in us. You see, so this isn't just about the end. This is about living in such a way that other people who are living in the shadow of death and the fear of death come to us and say, why have you got hope? What's different about you? Imagine the Egyptians why are you not taking cartloads of treasures to bury with Jacob? Oh, our God doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. That's small change compared to, to our God. So living with confidence in God's promises. 
living with uh, confidence, uh, with confident looking forward, confident looking to the promises. And then thirdly, a confident looking to God for our loved ones. A confident looking to God for our loved ones. Just a a very brief uh, point, but notice what Joseph says in verse 24 of chapter 50. I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. And then he says it again, verse 25. God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. I suppose one of the things that can fill us with anxiety or fear is who's going to look after those that I leave? Who'll provide for them? Who'll Joseph says no. God will provide. He's looked at how God has provided for him all his days. He's seen how God has provided when he was far from home. When there was nobody else to look after him, God was there to look after him. He knows that whenever he was in the pit and his brothers were against him, God was looking after him. He knows that when he was in Potiphar's house, God was looking after him. He knows that whenever he was falsely accused, God was looking after him. He knows that whenever he was in prison, God was looking after him. He knows that as he rose out of the prison, had his own, as it were, his own Easter day, when his life had seemed over, and then he rises uh, to sit at the right hand of the Pharaoh. God was looking after him. And so he has this great confidence that although he is leaving things behind, he is leaving them where they've always been, in God's hands. And God has safe hands and good hands. And so uh, we uh, can leave all those things in God's hands. But again, we'll find it hard to do that on the last days if we haven't been doing that on every other day or trying to do it every other day. So let's live. Let's live with this looking forwards. Let's live with this confidence in the promises. Think of the promises that we've got. Think of Jesus saying that he goes ahead of us to prepare a place for us. Think of the the promises that we sing in the Psalms. And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place will be. Think of the promises we looked at in Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, on this mountain, the Lord will prepare a banquet, a feast of aged meat and the finest of wines. Think of the promises that are made clear in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the promises that are made clear in the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What Paul says, here's the first fruits of our resurrection. And as the, the, he was raised, so we will be raised. Think of those promises and live with confidence. So confident looking forwards, confident looking to the promises, confident looking to God to provide for for our loved ones. And then, fourthly, confident, confident looking at the pattern or the picture. Confidence comes from looking backwards, not just forwards, 
Why is this recorded here? Now, this is asking the question, why is all this recorded? Is it, it's not first for us. It was first for the children of Israel. Going out of Egypt. Going into the promised land. They're going somewhere new. They're going to a new destination, a new home. They haven't been that way ever before. How are they going to have certainty and confidence about this new life to come? Well, they find that in their history, in their story, Their people have been there before them. Their people have been there before them. And the very route that they are going to take has been trodden before by their people. The very route that's described there, you wonder why on earth is Moses recording this whole trek from Egypt uh, uh, and all the people on their way up and they reach the threshing floor at Atad near the Jordan and all of this. They come up, uh, they come up round the bottom past where Sodom and Gomorrah would have been and, and on up uh, the, the far side of the Jordan. And then they're facing into the promised land at the, the threshing floor of Atad. That's the route that the children of Israel themselves are going to end up taking. Can you imagine them reading this and going, look, Our people have walked this way before. Our people have trodden this road. They've left. They've left the bounty of Egypt and they've come this way because this is far more valuable. And for us, we're not looking back to the Israelites coming out of Egypt, to Jacob's family coming out of Egypt, We're looking to our Saviour going through death and coming out of the tomb. We've seen somebody walk this path before. And we look back to the the pattern of our death and resurrection. the, The one who defeated death and rose from the grave and we're joined to him. And we can look back to him as the children of Israel were to look back to Jacob and to Joseph and to see them going on this journey. And they were to say, yes, this is the way for us to go home. We can look at Christ and we can say, this is the way for us to go home. He's the pattern. He's the true and better Jacob who's gone on ahead. He's the true and better Joseph who's gone on ahead. He's the one who says, I go to prepare a place for you. He's the pioneer of our faith. He's fought his way through and cleared a path for us to walk on. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we know that this is the way to the promised land because he has cleared the way for us. Confidence, because we are walking We aren't forging a path on our own, but we are walking on a well-trodden path, hacked out, as it were, through the jungle of death by death's defeater, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are walking that pathway to glory. But not only was the pattern seen in the root, the pattern was also seen in a tomb. The tomb of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham marked their belonging in this land. It was a new land, a new place. And as they would read Genesis, and they would travel around below the Dead Sea and up the side of the Jordan to opposite Jericho, and they would look into this new land, they would know that in that land a tomb marked their ownership, their right to be there. Because of a grave, they had roots in the promised land. Do you see the pattern? Because of a grave, we have roots in the promised land. Except our grave is not an empty one. Our grave, our grave is not a, a one with bones or remains in it. Our grave is an empty one. Our tomb is an empty one. For our Saviour has risen. And we have a right to heaven. We have roots and belonging in the promised land because a tomb says so. As, as the children of Israel would look at a tomb and say, this place belongs to us. In a different way, we look at a tomb, an empty tomb, we say exactly the same thing. This place belongs to us. Our tomb is empty because our path clearer uh, isn't somebody who was once great and is now deceased, but is someone who is always great. It's our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a great picture of our hope this is. This is what Paul means when he mocks and taunts death. And he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Those words come from Hosea chapter 13, where they originally are about judgment. But Christ has borne the judgment. So now it becomes a statement of triumph. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Our tomb is empty. Our Saviour is alive. Our place in the promised land is secure because all those who are joined to Christ will be with Christ forever. And as he rose from the dead, so will we. So look at the pattern for what God did with Christ. He will do with Christ's people. So here's our confidence as we as we think about the end of our days. We have confidence that comes from looking forwards, confidence that comes from looking at the promises, confidence that comes from looking to God for our loved ones, and confidence that comes from looking at the pattern of God's rescuing in the past. And as we live this way and think this way, we will find that we can die with confidence. 
whenever that day might be. Amen. If we're able, let's stand to pray. Father in heaven, we are dust and dirt. And yet, at this very moment, the dust of the earth is seated on the throne of heaven. Our Savior has risen and ascended in full bodily form to the right hand of the majesty on high. And one day, us, bundles of dust and dirt, who are joined to Jesus, will likewise be resurrected and ascend into the presence of the majesty on high. As it was with Christ, so it will be with his people. We marvel at that. And we hear the promises. And we see the pattern in Scripture. And we hear the descriptions of what we have to look forward to. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to live with a confidence in, in your sovereignty for the, the hurts of our lives and a confidence in your promises for the future of our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in such a way that our lives are infused with hope so that in a hopeless world where people look to death as a deliverer and not an enemy and a thief, that people would come to us and say, before I do anything rash, tell me about the hope that you've got. Tell me about the certainty that you've got about heaven and about eternity and about meeting God. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.